Welcome to the Victory of the Lamb podcast. We are a simple, straightforward Bible teaching church located in Katy, Texas. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to stop by anytime. Otherwise, we hope you use this podcast to grow in your faith and be confident in sharing that faith with many. You can find us online at VOTL.org. We hope you enjoy this message. God bless your week. Raise your hand if you've seen the movie Forrest Gump. Quite a few of you, maybe not so much of the younger ones, maybe some. One of the things that Forrest Gump said was, Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I fully agree with that, and so do you, except turn it 50% around for a second and consider that the opposite maybe also is true. Life is like a box of chocolates. You do know what you're going to get. And we think that way when we're frustrated, disappointed, and discouraged. A phrase from the sermon verses for today, which is in the eternal word of God. You will suffer grief in all kinds of earthly trials. You could say the opposite of Forrest there, couldn't you? And say, I do know what I'm going to get. I'm going to suffer grief in all kinds of earthly trials. One after the next, after the next, after the next, after the next. Different categories. There's a health problem followed by another one, followed by another one. There's a financial fear followed by another one, followed by another one. There's a war and a rumor of war followed by another one and another one. And then the mind drifts and wanders as to what might happen if this and that, which is even scarier, really, and a tougher place to be mentally and emotionally. What about arguments followed by another one and another one over here, over there? Ones you expected and the confrontation made you nervous. Ones that came out of nowhere and you weren't expecting at all. And yet, here we sit. Life isn't always like a box of chocolates. You know what you're going to get. Suffering grief and all kinds of earthly trials. So if that's reality, how do we cope with that? Martin Luther had a brilliant statement like he often does. He said, this is the main problem. Here, everyone wishes to be an expert and thinks they know the best way to put all back in order again. And I would say that's true for us too, isn't it? If you are suffering grief because of all kinds of earthly trials, you probably have a list in mind of what he needs to do, what she needs to do, what they need to do different, if only this, if only that, if only I could this or that. I know what to do. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I'm going to make that happen. If you explore world religions, in the religion of Islam, there's the Quran with the list of things. In Buddhism, there's a list of things. In Mormonism, there's a list of things. In Christianity, for those who aren't paying attention to grace, there's plenty of people who would say, yep, I'm a Christian, and that means life is all about me following the Ten Commandments to get rich, 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 have a better life on earth. Step back for a second, though, from 
thinking that you know how to put it all back together well and admit you can't. Admit, I can't provide myself with a new birth, something different, something different than what I have, this earthly life with all kinds of grief, all kinds of trials. Admit that you don't have the power to arrange a trip to heaven to grab God and bring him down into your life. Admit that you are incapable of finding your way into heaven by yourself, of arranging life after death where it's secure. Like Luther said, we think we know we're the expert and know how to put it all back together, and we just don't. We're helpless human beings who sink deeper and lower into sadness as we deal with grief and all kinds of trials. And then there's more around the corner. It's nothing new. It's worth mentioning the background of these sermon verses for today from 1 Peter chapter 1. Over the next five weeks, we'll be working with different sections of 1 Peter. And this is what was going on in the lives to whom, people, to whom Peter was writing. He was writing to Christians who were living during the time of Emperor Nero, around A.D. 70. Emperor Nero was the one who enhanced and creatively searched for ways to persecute Christians more vigorously. He's the guy who would haul you off if he could, and your family too, right behind you, into the arena to tie you to stakes so that then lions and wild dogs could have their way with you. He'd make sure to keep those animals hungry for when they had their way with you. Nero was the one who enjoyed tying Christians to stakes and then burning them alive for his garden parties. He's the one who set the great fire of Rome on purpose so that he could blame the Christians and spark persecution all throughout the empire. These are Christians who certainly were grieving because of all kinds of earthly trials. They had lost their dignity. They had lost their homes, their families, their lives. They certainly lost their jobs. You want to talk about financial worries? I'm sure they had more than us for good reason. What would Peter write to people like that? What would Peter say to people like himself who lost his own life under the reign of Emperor Nero being crucified upside down? He would say, let's get real. We are going to suffer grief because of all kinds of earthly trials. But let's also get real. We have new birth into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter, in helping these people and us deal with earthly trials, pointed to ongoing Easter victory. Let's drill deeply into the verses for today and enjoy holding fast to what we hear from God's Word. Verse 3, Praise 
be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The whole sermon verse section for today, verses 3 through 9 in the original Greek Bible, is one big, huge, long, run-on sentence. So while the Apostle Peter probably would have flunked fourth-grade English for having such a long, run-on sentence, you get the idea that he's just so excited to share this truth that he just spills out of his heart and mind with one powerful reminder after the next while helping people including himself, in the reality of suffering grief for a while because of all kinds of earthly trials. But notice, he's not going on and on and on and on and on and on and on about the trials, is he? He's going on and on and on and on and on about the victory of Easter. Praise, let good words be spoken about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He should clobber sinful rebels for their sins, but instead he has great mercy and withholds the hammer he otherwise has the right to bring. He has given us something we never could have arranged, new birth into a living hope. So the new birth isn't just for a day or a moment. It doesn't expire. It's still alive. It's, it's birth that then keeps living. Hope that doesn't fade or wear off. And whenever you run across the word hope in the Bible, it's so important to grasp that the way the Bible teaches and, and uses the word hope is different than the way we usually use it in our English conversations. What am I getting at if I say, I hope the Texans win the Super Bowl this year. I'm getting at, that would be really cool and great, but I actually don't think it's going to happen. Maybe a little more realistic would be, I hope they, did better, they do better this year than last year, and yet the balancing thought of that would be, it's not hard when you're so bad as they were last year. But the word hope, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. I hope it doesn't rain this week. I have these plans going on. We hope for that, and we're wishing for that, yet we're not in control of making sure it happens. It's not even a done deal that it will be the future path. The Bible's hope, though, is different. Don't picture question marks when you think of the Bible's word hope. Think of a large anchor of an ocean-going vessel that weighs several tons 
and is down in the sand and isn't going anywhere. That is the Bible's hope. Not only is it a wish, not only, not only is it a possibility, it is a done deal. Just as we would have no ability to move an anchor that weighs several tons out of the bottom of the ocean with our own two hands. So also we have no ability to change the hope God offers through his promises in the word. This is the living hope into which we have new birth because of Easter through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We don't have to try to be the expert in figuring out to arrange a trip to heaven to grab God and not let go. We don't have to do that because Christ has already done that. He is the one who came down from heaven to us to give us new birth, what we couldn't have arranged, into a living hope that doesn't expire, what we couldn't have figured out. This new birth into a living hope is into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. There's pretty much nothing you can put your eyes on that isn't perishable, able to be spoiled, going to fade. The most wonderful sports car still needs a new alternator, still is going to need new tires, won't last forever. The most pristine mansion still is prone to termites and fires. The largest bank account you could have or even imagine is only for a few decades for that person to enjoy at the most. Nothing we can grab eyes on is imperishable, unspoilable, not going to fade. But Jesus gives us something different. He gives us something kept in heaven for us, shielded by God's power, a home in heaven that does not perish. It does not spoil. It will not fade. When all the vault of heaven resounds in glorious song to Christ, and we're a part of that, it's going to be just as pristine and sparkling new a million years down the road as it was the first moment when you got there to heaven, the first moment after you die. That's quite a living hope to look forward to, isn't it? And so Peter brings this big anchor of hope to these people who are suffering so terribly in all kinds of different ways, people just like us. And then he continues with this thought. In this you greatly rejoice, though now... Let's get real, but let's get real. The trials are, for a little while, the inheritance God is keeping for you as a prize, just waiting for you to enjoy, is what is eternal. Moreover, these trials have a good purpose in the end. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, even during trials, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The end result is heaven. And that's what helps us during the trials. Gold ore is smelted at and refined at 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's how hot it has to be in order to have the impurities melted off. And then in the end, all you have left is pure gold. Now, if I was a block of gold ore and I had feelings in control, the heat started getting turned up 700, 800, 900, 1100, I think I would cry out in pain and say, hey, turn it down. That hurts. No fun. And yet the refiner would keep turning up the heat, not to hurt me long term as the block of gold ore, but to refine me so that in the end, what's left is only gold and no impurities. That's the illustration Peter is using to help his people and himself who are going through all kinds of earthly trials that cause grief. It's refining your faith so that more and more as the trials are coming, while next, less and less do you think I'm the expert in the room here and I got this under control, less and less do you try to create some sort of heaven on earth that is a fool's errand. More and more, do you hold fast to God's promises and to the inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade? More and more, are you excited to think about this new birth into a living hope, that huge anchor in the sea, not going anywhere, the prize of heaven that God has waiting just for you and so many more? Now you're living on earth dealing with the trials, they hurt, they cause suffering, they're not fun, the heat is turned up, and yet you will withstand and even thrive a little bit with joy, not because of any reason other than you're clinging to Jesus more closely than ever in this trial, and the next one around the corner, and the next one after that, are serving to draw you closer to your Savior and His Word instead of distancing you further away from Him. That is the good purpose God can use when trials come our way. He sets our hearts on things above more than ever. One time, Martin Luther, who certainly had his fair share of trials during his life on earth, was having a particular difficult time. Now normally Martin Luther was a pretty cheerful guy but he did also struggle sometimes with depression. Not, not many people know that. And one time he was having a particularly deep battle with depression and a friend told him, why don't you get a few days in a different location and maybe that'll help you take a break and then come back and, and you'll feel better. Well, Luther did that and he came back and he didn't feel better. He was still sour, anxious, like nothing had changed. His wife, Katie, was wearing all black in the kitchen and all the kids were dressed in black too. 
And Luther comes and says, why are you dressed in all black? Who died? What, are you going to a funeral today? And she said, no, but the way you've been acting, God must have died. And God must still be dead. So I just thought I would wear this. Luther got the picture. His wife helped him remember and trust and enjoy. God isn't dead. Today we're not celebrating a funeral. Today we are celebrating a victory in heaven because I have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, even though now for a little while I'm suffering grief during all kinds of earthly trials. So when trials come your way, don't ignore them or minimize them because that doesn't help anything either. But also don't distance yourself from God as though he's the problem and the enemy. Don't think God is out to get you. Don't blame him as though it's all his fault somehow. Instead, listen to his word more than ever. As you're dealing with losses, remember what you have. New birth into a living hope. An inheritance that will not ever perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Shielded by the divine almighty power of God. That's yours. Always going to be yours. Let Easter victory be not just a one day thing or a once a year thing but a lifetime thing. Amen. We know your time is precious. Thank you so much for investing some of your time with us today. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you be so kind as to click to follow our show and give us a five-star rating? That's a quick and easy way to help us get the message of truth out to more people. Thank you so much. God bless your day in Christ.